A lot of times I'm driving, there's nothing to do. And I shuffle through the radio before I unglue. There's a lot of red on ways, it's traffic, I'm screwed. And I'm wired a bit different than a regular dude. It's not a bad thing, I embrace it, it's true. The radio don't stimulate brain chemistry fluid. The Buddha found nirvana and the four noble truths. Through a meditative process, right action he proved. For me, I require the use of a tool, a detector, pin, pointer, shovel, and beach scoop. I'm meant to work the dirt with my history crew, but everywhere I look, my interest taboo. Most people choose Bieber over Tippy Canoe. What does a detectorist listen to when the radio is full of bad music and news? I need an alternative for me to peruse. Beyond sight and sound gets fantastic reviews. A metal detecting show where my thought bubble brews. Thank you, Josh Kimmel, for inviting me to a detecting dork out with guests like yours, true. Lee? Are you looking for a high-quality beach and sand scoop? Are you trying to take your hunting to the extreme? How about an American-based company that stands behind their product and everything they sell? Then check out our friends over at Extreme Scoops. John has been making scoops for some time now and makes a quality beach and sand scoop to take your hunting to the next level. Extreme Scoops recently released their new sand shredder that works great in the water and on the beach. And if you're a new Equinox user, you may want to check out his Surfmaster X3 that can trap those small targets you new Equinox users are finding out there. Extreme Scoops company approach is let's do it right. So do it right, buy it once, and go to the extreme. Extremescoops.com That's X-T-R-E-M-E scoops.com Caution. Please do not operate motor vehicles or power equipment while under the influence of this show. Listening to this show could cause side effects such as bouts of laughter, violent binges of cabin fever, and even dreams of silver and gold. Please be advised. Now that the fine print is out of the way, on with the show. All right, we're back and we're live once again. You are listening to Beyond Sight and Sound, Metal Detecting and Treasure Hunting Radio for all the really cool digging people out there. And as I look into the chat, I see that you guys are already all fired up. Thanks to everyone for dropping in. I see a number of names flying across the screen already. Uh, Jesse, The Bills, Chuck, Maya, Scotty. Uh, good grief, I, I can't keep track. So we'll just uh, say welcome to everyone for dropping in. Obviously, first and foremost, links in the description. Our friends at Shooters and Prospectors, Chuck Smalley, the man with the plan, the dealer of choice, multi-line dealer dealing in Nocta Macro, XP, Garrett, Detector Pro, Detect Ed, Dean Ricker, Detector Covers, Cedar River Digging Tools, and many, many more. Give him a call. Also carrying the Ugly Box Electrolysis Unit. Uh, we've got a show coming up on Electrolysis. Next Sunday, 
actually, where we will be talking about the new Copperhead technology. So very interested in in hearing that. Uh, the links to our friends over at Detectees.com. Ken Mark Darth Buddy and the gang doing a great job, as always, here in the studio. We're rocking the Beyond Sight and Sound t-shirt. Uh, remember, March is MS Awareness Month, and a portion of those proceeds do go towards MS Awareness. So, uh, if you haven't gotten yours, go ahead and get yours, and get yourself entered into the uh, Continuing Appreciation Contest over on the Metal Detecting Beyond Sight and Sound group. Ohio Metal Detecting on YouTube, Crazy Spider Adventures on YouTube, Metal Detecting NYC on YouTube, Detect Ed Outdoors on YouTube, Terry Shannon on YouTube, as well as the links for the Simplex Raffle, the Swing Into Summer I&I event this summer in June, and the East Coast Research and Recovery Association Beach Hunt that are seeding 44 pounds of silver into the beach. Yes, coronavirus is not stopping them. They are still planning these events, and we're going to continue to plan them until someone says otherwise in the midst of... uh, Many different events being canceled all across the country in the uh, unfortunate times that we are in. But, enough of that. Uh, it's it's The listeners have reached out to me before about this, and I've tried due diligence to uh, to track down this gentleman. It was such an honor to speak with him, and a pleasure to bring him to the show. I'm very pleased to announce that tonight... Our guest is actually Terry Shannon, who is a well-known treasure hunter from, uh, well, I guess you could take your pick. I mean, he likes to jump around between Minnesota and Florida and does an absolutely wonderful job with his videos. The audio is great. Check out his channel. The links are in the description and in the live chat currently. I did post them as we were rolling the music, but... This guy has has made many, many, many nice finds over the years, and just a true honor and pleasure to speak with, so we're glad to have him on tonight to discuss some of his experiences in the hobby, as well as discussing his perspective on the moon phase and how weather can play a part in our environment out there metal detecting, because for many of you that are Coastal water hunters, especially, you know how it really can be a tidal game. But that doesn't mean that the weather doesn't necessarily affect those of us that hunt inland either. So let's get him in here and and get rolling with Terry. How is it going tonight, Terry? Well, Josh, it's an honor to be on your program, and uh, I thank you for reaching out. Well, believe me, the uh, it is definitely, for me, it is a true privilege to uh, have the opportunity to speak with you and let the listeners hear, hear your uh, perspectives and stories tonight. Well, again, I thank you. You know, it, uh, we enjoy a wonderful, wonderful hobby. And, you know, the really true treasure, I think, is just getting out there every day or whenever you can and enjoying the great outdoors and, and uh and occasionally find a little bit of treasure. Absolutely, I would agree. You know, getting out there, enjoying the environment outdoors, getting away from all the uh, the computers and media and all of that, and not to mention the friends and connections we make along the way, the memories that we create. And if you're lucky, 
you even find some treasure along the way. I, I'm I'm not seeing a downside here. <laughs> I don't think there is a downside. Uh, you mentioned that that uh, I'm a snowbird. I I have my home in Minnesota, and then we uh, about 15 years ago we you know started coming down here to the Treasure Coast, and it's kind of a an odd story. It, it uh, years and years ago, my wife and I took a vacation when we had a small motor home, and we came down to Florida and went down on the West Coast, crossed Alligator Isle, uh, Alligator Alley, they call it. And up up the East Coast, we stopped at the McClarty Museum. And I tell you, you know, I started talking to those people. I had the fever so bad, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe that you could still find treasure out on those beaches. And that was probably 30 years ago. You know, and right. I finally got my chance and here, yeah. And, and, and now look at you today, you're still finding treasure on those beaches. <laughs> I, I, I'm doing really well. I, I, one of the, the good Lord has looked down at me and I really have, have done well. And, uh, you know, there was, was 15, uh, wait a minute. No, there was uh, 11 ships that came up along the treasure coast in 1715. There was actually 12 ships. One was a French ship, but it was smaller and that and faster. And it made through without realizing all the others sank. But out of the, you know, there was 11 ships and they sank and they sank right close to shore. And they've only found out of the eleven, they've only located six. And out of the you know, and out of the six, the average salvage has been about forty one million dollars per ship. You know, so there's still five of them out there, they don't know where they're at. I got a pretty good idea where the seventh one is. In fact, I believe my first Spanish coin came from that ship. But uh there's treasure out there, there's a lot of treasure out there, and it's just waiting to be found. They haven't found the Queen's jewels yet. I don't know if you know that story, but that's but, right, uh, they are still looking for that. Right. The king got remarried and, and she, uh, you know, she agreed to marry without her dowry, but she wouldn't consummate the marriage, you know, until she got her dowry. And apparently, I think it was like eight chests of jewels or something that was coming up for her dowry. And they haven't found that. That's laying, you know, along the treasure coast someplace. And these ships, you know, they sank. Well, one of them actually ended up, you know, part of the ship up on shore. They used it as, as their campground when they were salvaging and stuff. And, uh, it's just a nice piece of history, and uh, we were talking about it earlier, Josh, before the program started, but a couple of weeks ago, I got really lucky. I, I found a low area, and, you know, what I do, both Jerry and I, what we do is we go up and down the coast looking for low areas, you know, where the, the sand has been washed out, and I found this low area, and the way to tell that the area is low is when I walked over there, I could see where these ghost crabs have been digging down, and they're bringing up this bright orange sand. You know, I call it orange sand. That's the original beach. Oh, yeah, that's and where you want to be. Exactly. And, and I, I got all excited. I pulled out some some really neat things. But the best, on day two, I got a coin. You know, we haven't positively identified it yet, but I did take it to a well-known individual. And he said he thought it was a Carlos. I can't even pronounce the last name. Juan or something. Juana, Jonah. Or something like that, fifteen oh four to fifteen sixteen, and uh, it's a two Spanish two real, and I sent it into the Treasure Coast blog, and they believe it might possibly be the oldest coin ever found on the Treasure Coast, and I was lucky enough to walk over the top of it. That is phenomenal. I mean, there's many of us, myself included, that uh, we may hunt all of our lives and not make a find like that. 
Well, I, I tell everyone, you know, if, if you have to choose between skill and luck, take the luck. <laughs> you know, right. And, and that's what, what had to happen. The conditions were just right, and I just happened to walk over the top of it. And, you know, I've been holding off. We want to do a video of cleaning it, you know, to kind of, you know, because it's a special coin. I probably will never find anything, you know, that good again. And so we want to video it. And, and Jerry, the, my friend, the close friend, that does the videos and that has been so tied up with work that, you know, hopefully he's going to be able to break away this week and we'll be able to get it positively identified. But it's, it's definitely a coin from the early 1500s. And that would be, you know, 200 years before the 1715 fleet. You know, that's a long, long time. Yes, it is. I mean, that, that makes the find just that much more significant to you, I would think. Yeah, as, as much as I've been involved in the, in, the, in the treasure hunting and that stuff, when I found this coin, I I thought I had a real. I called Jerry up and I said, I think I got a real, but I wasn't sure. I could see, you know, the the shield. I could kind of, you know, vaguely make it out. And and he come down, and both of us were not sure. In fact, it was that evening, you know, Jerry called me back up and he asked what it weighed, and it was, uh, you know, six and a half grams. And, you know, a four real, he had just found a four real, and that weighed 13 grams, so that made it a, a two real. The weight was right, and that's when I contacted the expert. And, of course, my fear is when I went over there is he's going to say, well, this is, you know, this isn't even real. But it, it was real, and it's, it's old, and it's really kind of neat. Absolutely. That is one to be proud of for sure. Definitely. Kudos to you on, on that, uh, very, very cool find. So for those who, who may not realize who you are, take a moment and explain just who is Terry Shannon. What inspired you to even get into the hobby and what did you start with? <laughs> That's a funny story. I don't even know if you want to. I, uh, my wife years and years ago bought me a, um, cheap metal detector, very, you know, low-end metal detector. I think she probably got it at, uh, well, I don't even think they had Walmarts at that time, but she paid about $30 for it, which would be about $20 more than it was worth. You know, <laughs> and it, of course, you know, it, it sat in the closet and uh, Radio Shack, that's where she got it. She got it at Radio Shack, and it sat in the closet for years. And then one day I was down at, at the, um, we have a meat market in our town, Freezy, Minnesota, up there, just a small town. And I was down there going to buy some of these special hot dogs that he makes. And, and uh, he had a metal detector leaning against the back wall. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what, what's the story on the metal detector? And he said, it's for sale. And I said, what do you want for it? And he said, $75. And I tell you, that's the quickest wallet draw I've ever made in my life. You know, I handed him the money, and I was excited. Forgot the hot dogs. Went home, and it found out that he had uh, left the batteries in it. It was a Garrett H 150, and he'd left the batteries in it, and it just all corroded. And I told the guy, he said, I'll give you your money back. I said, no. I said, I, I want the detector. So I took it all apart and cleaned it up, and I got it working. And, boy, I stepped out beside my house. I live, you know, out of, on the lake but out of town. And, you know, I, I had it working, and I, I swung it back and forth. And when it got close to the ground, right in front of me, it would make a noise. And I said, boy, it just doesn't take long. And I, you know, but I kept walking and it kept making that noise. Every time that coil went across the ground, it made a noise. And I walked about five, six feet. And every time the coil got close to the ground and, and I got so angry, I figured now I'm entitled to, you know, this hobby. I should, you know, I've worked hard my whole life. Darn it. I should be able to do it. And I hopped in my car and I drove to Fargo, North Dakota, which is 50 miles away and bought a top of the line metal detector, you know, and brought it home. 
went out to the same place, and that top of the line metal detector did the same thing. And what I was, I was standing over the copper tubing for my fuel line that goes into my furnace. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, you know, it was a stupid, stupid mistake. And you'd have to be an idiot to be that dumb, and I, I qualified at that time. But, but that's how we all learned. happened to me. Well, what happened to me is I ended up with a really good top-of-the-line metal detector, and I started finding things. And once you start finding things, you know, your your interest just peaks. And I was very fortunate. I used to be the county sheriff. I was an elected position back home. And so I knew everybody in the community, and I, I yeah, people would call me when they found out I had this hobby. And in our area, there was an old trading post uh, where the Red River ox carts, you know, traveled from Winnipeg down to Fargo and, and Fargo down to St. Paul. And uh, they called it a pig's eye at that time. And uh, in 18, I think 1844, the Indians went on revolts and, and uh, you know, or on the warpath, I guess. And there was a large wagon train that was stuck down in, in St. Paul, and they had to take a different route, and they ended up coming to our town. And they built a trading post out of town. And I was invited out there and spent a whole year. And uh, they just made some phenomenal finds, you know, out there. And, of course, now I'm just hooked totally. And then coming down to the Treasure Coast, uh, uh, you know, I had a son. My son was married a Japanese girl. My wife wanted to fly over to Japan to visit him. And I said, I just want to detect the Treasure Coast. And <laughs> when I when she came back, you know, I picked her up at the airport. And she was going over in Japan for two weeks. I said, we're not leaving. You know, we're, we're staying right here. And this is, I think, my 15th year. And I've had some real success, you know, as far as the Spanish coins and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, and and phenomenal success in terms of jewelry as well. I I remember uh, seeing a video that was put out some time back by Ed Huffman where he had had the opportunity to, to meet and speak with you and show some of your displays of rings. And i got to say, a little envious. <laughs> There, there, I've done well in the rings. I, I really have. There, there's a river back home in Minnesota where the kids float down tubing. And they had been doing that for 25 years. And there's other people that detected it, but, but uh, uh, they didn't get into the fast water and that stuff. And when I started, I was getting 80 to 100 rings a year out of it, some really nice rings. And I've done well down here. I got a, uh, on the beaches also. You know, I, right now, you know, the, the, um, uh, the beaches are so sanded in that looking for anything Spanish is kind of futile right now. So, but right. there's spring break, so I'll be, you know, walking up and down, you know, the more popular beaches and, and trying my luck there. Yeah, nothing wrong with the uh, recent drops. No, there isn't. It, uh, and I, you know, uh, both Jerry and I, when, and, you know, we've been able to return quite a few rings. Right. Yeah. My absolutely. wife just walked by and, and said, said, it said emerald ring. I, you know, I found a emerald ring that I had appraised at eleven thousand dollars a couple of years ago, and, and uh, it's one of her favorite rings. And that was down here on the treasure coast. Wow. So, do you uh, you bring your rings home, and she kind of looks through them and says, "Oh, that one's nice. Yeah, look, it's just my size. I'll keep that." <laughs> <laughs> I tell everybody when I find, you know, when I'm talking about the rings and that stuff, I said, now the good rings I don't get to keep, you know, and they looked at me right off the bat and, and, uh, you know, you know, what, why, why not? And I said, well, my wife takes them, you know, <laughs> and that just pleases me no end. I mean, she's got a quite a ring collection herself, you know, it, uh, it, it's just, it's a fun, fun thing. You know, it, it, it really is. And, and if I can return the ring, if I can find out who it belongs to, I'm going to get it back to that person. 
you know, uh, we had an amazing thing happen uh, uh, a couple of years ago. Well, actually, about three, four years ago, I found a, a class ring in the river back home. And uh, my sister-in-law was visiting at that time, and she was able to, you know, get the initials off the inside, do a little research. And the guy's name was Slough. And I, I called the guy up. But I went in the phone book, and there was a Slough in Lake Park just a few miles from us. And I asked him, I said, you know, and he answered the phone. It was an older fellow. And I, and I said, uh, you know, I said, do you have a son named Gary? And he, he's just silenced there for a minute. And finally, he said, yes, I do. Why do you ask? And I said, well, I found his class ring. I'd like to return it. He said, Gary's in Afghanistan. And I oh, said, well, wow. gosh, I said, yeah. I said, well, you thank him for his service. I said, give me your address and I'll put the, the ring in the mail for you today. And I did. And Lake Park is only 25 miles away from us. And he got the ring the next day, called me up and thanked me for getting the ring. And he said, by the way, Terry, he said, do you uh, remember me? And I said, no, you know, and he said, this is Jordy. And when I started in law enforcement, I was a patrolman up in Moorhead, Minnesota, and Jordy was my partner. And oh, wow. I knew him as Jordy, see, and the name I'm, you know, the solo name was different, see, and, and I just didn't put it together. Into, and when I had won the election and was served, Jordy come down, and he had made me a handmade clock. Uh, and just a beautiful, it was like a big Western saloon. And then there was a jail beside with Sheriff Shannon over that. And he gave me this clock and then he went through a divorce and that's how I lost touch with him. See? And, uh, so, I mean, it was just uh, old home week. And, and then all of a sudden I got an email from his son and he had lost that ring 25 years before, you know, thought he'd never find it. And I sent out an email cause it was kind of a neat story and the newspaper uh, somebody sent it to the newspaper and they picked up on it. It was actually on the front page of the Fargo paper up there. And Jordy and I got together and, and they did quite an article on it. And, and, uh, you know, it was just wonderful. It was, you know, the hobby put two people back together again. Yeah, know? absolutely. And, and that's one of, uh, that's one of the aspects of the hobby that I enjoy so much is when you are able to find these rings that have been lost for so many years like that and be able to return it to that person. You, you can't put a price on handing them a piece of their life back. And you know, as well as I do, obviously there's plenty others out there that we're going to find that just there isn't enough information to return them. So when we can return the ones that we can, I highly encourage people to do that. Yeah, it, it uh, and I, I really believe that, that what goes around comes around. I mean, when you do something like that, I think the good Lord pays you back. You know, it, it, it really, it's karma or something. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm kind of getting off, you know, we, we're supposed to talk about the moon phrase, and I take off on one of these tangents. I apologize. <laughs> I think... Oh, that that's entirely okay. I mean, great, great story, obviously, and, and yeah. very good to hear. Well, yeah, we, we talked, well, thank you. We talked about the the moon phrase, and, and this is another one that took me a, a while to figure out. You know, I, I was a firm believer, and still am, in following the waves out. I always would try to get out on the beach about three or four hours before low tide, and right. I would follow the waves out. You know, and if you get on the beach, if you'll notice, uh, as the tide's going out, sometimes you'll have a steep angle going right down to the water. And by the time the tide has gone out, that steep angle is flattened out. And, and the reason for that being is as the water is going out, it's dropping sand. So if you follow it out, you're able to get some more depth that's going to be covered up in, in just a very short period of time. 
but you get beat up. The waves hit you, and then recovery is, you know, tough, but it's sure worth it. You pull out some neat things. Oh, you know, and yes, yeah, it, it really, I, you know, I believe quite strongly of it. And, and I never thought until one day, uh, Jerry and I were detecting, and, and what we normally do is we look for low areas. We're looking for the cuts, you know, where the north winds comes out of the north, northwest, and it'll cut along the beach. And these are good, yeah, really good. But what's even better is it's often you'll listen to uh, the news and they warn you about riptides. You know, be very careful out there, swim near a lifeguard. You know, yes. I love these riptides because what they do is, is they will, uh, you know, actually wash water out. It works its way back into the beach there. And so uh, normally when I go, unless I have a spot that I you know, know that's going to be good, I'll drive up and down the coast and check looking for these, these riptides. And it's, and I call them bowls. They look like half a bowl that goes in. And this, you know, the, this thing washes out and these are they're much better actually than the cuts as far as finding good stuff. You know, and when you go up to the beach, you know, if you look north and, and you see where the water's coming up farther than every place else, you know, that's a low area. Head for that. Look south, same thing, see. And, you know, we've done that and, and been very successful. I, you know, found Spanish coins, who, you know, we have done really well. And then one day we were out and I was into an area and I was digging a lot of coins, a lot of stuff. And Jerry, you know, got this one of us. He just took off walking, and, and pretty soon he, he called me. And actually, he, he tried to call me. I didn't answer my phone. He ended up calling a buddy to come and get me. But he had found two Spanish coins laying right on top of the sand above the high tide line, two eight reals. There you go. And I go over, yeah, I go over there, and, and the friend that come and got me, and, and Jerry and I, we dug targets until about 8.30 that night, until we just absolutely couldn't dig anymore. It was just, we were that tired. And it was just phenomenal. I mean, he had found, he's the only one that found the Spanish coin, but we found other artifacts of that stuff. So the next day we go back there and we find three more eight reals right on top of the sand above the high tide line. You know, and I mean, that's just unheard of. I've got a beautiful eight real in this great shape. And, and, uh, some of the coins that get washed in, you know, out of the surf, they're black and they're pretty beat up. And then, you know, it seems like the ones that I believe get washed out of the dunes that are actually getting washed back out, you know, they're they're kind of a greenish color and they're much better shape. And on this coin, you know, I was walking along and, and there was about five or six people all lined up in, in chairs watching their, their husbands or boyfriends fishing, you know, a bunch of women there. And, and uh, so I went behind them to go by him and I was going to go down the beach. I got directly behind him and my detector sounded off and looked down. I could see the reality in right there. Boy, it went into my pocket and, and, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I walked about another 20, 30 feet just dying. And then I took it out and looked at it. I didn't want to make a scene. I didn't want it, but I didn't know I found it. Right. And I got so excited, you know, that, that I called this friend of mine. He wasn't out there the second day with Jerry and I. And I said, I found a beautiful eight real. And he happened to be in the area. So he popped out there. And, and this story sounds fictitious, but uh, it's it's true. You know, he looked at me and he said, you know, he looked at me, he complimented me on the coin. He said, well, if they're laying right on top, he said, I'm going to walk around and see if I can find one myself. And I bet you didn't walk 30 feet from me. He turned around with his big grin and motioned me over, and there was one laying there that he'd just seen. He didn't even have a detector, yeah. you know. 
You know, he nice. asked me, he said, are you mad? You know, because I was gritting the area off working that way. I bet I eventually, I think, would have got it. But I said, no, I'm not mad at all. I don't you're a friend. And secretary. It just makes a heck of a good story, you know. And uh, But what we think happened is it was a full moon. And when you get the full moon or the new moon, you know, the new moon you can't see, but it's when the sun and the moon are all light up, you know, and it just has that it increases the gravitational flow on the water, and you get these high tides. Right, you, know, you get and your you plus get, and minus you know, tides. Plus and minus tides, and, and so you, you've got a, a double whammy there. And when you when you get those plus tides, and if you notice you're on the beach, you know, you'll get about seven or eight or even maybe ten waves that come in. They're just normal waves. They might be higher or lower or something like that. Then you'll get one that just goes way up. You know, I call this a surge. It, it just, you know, and in fact, if you're not ready with it, several times the storm must knock me down, you know, when, when these things hit. And I Absolutely. think what happened. Don't turn your back on them. Exactly. Exactly. It, it uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm not a very big man, and I tell you, I've had him spin me right around. But uh, uh, I think what happened is we had that, you know, the rough weather, you know, we had the new moon or the full moon, you know, so we had the plus tides. And we had that surge. I mean, it was just a perfect storm. And it was washing things way up. And that's, the, you know, the first time I realized that, hey, this is really an opportunity, and I should be hunting high. And, you know, after we found those five Avery we didn't get any more in that area for a while. But I spent, I think, the, I had two weeks where I could, before we got another high tide like that. And I spent it going up the whole, you know, almost the whole treasure coast north of the inlet there. Uh Honey high, and I did really well. I mean, I found a lot of coins, I found some jewelry and that stuff, all up high, where you just wouldn't expect it to be. But it had gotten washed way up there, and and, uh, and so it was an opportunity that I just hadn't recognized for years. And now, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I get excited about the, the full moon. You know, I really do. Understandably so, when you're making finds like that. Yeah, the, the the first Spanish coin I ever found was a two real, and it had a date on it. It's a, a seven oh one, and it was right at the base of a cut, and it was just a phenomenal day. I mean, it was we had a, a three day storm, and at, when we first moved down here, I was in a fifth wheel camper, and we had it parked right on the uh, we was in a campground here, right on the beach, and I was within sight of my camper when I found it, and and, and it was it was really odd because I got the signal. And I dug it up, and right away I knew exactly what it was. And but I was digging it right at the very base of the dunes, and it was a you know the very high cut. And there was a couple of old people that, that I think were upset that I was digging in there, and I had an identical signal right kind of beside it. I figured that's got to be another one, but I didn't want to dig in it, so I waited till the evening when when nobody around and went out. And I'm not digging into the dunes; I was digging at the base of the dunes, and I always fill up my holes. You know, so I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I just thought I'd be careful. And that second signal was a, was a modern penny. You know, oh. how does that happen? I just don't understand yeah. that, you know. Right, yeah, going, but it sounded just like the other one. Just exactly like it. You know, it, uh, uh, it, it, at that time, I was using the mine lamb sovereign. You know, and I think that's just a wonderful detector. That thing, you know, has just treated me so well. And I mean, it, it, uh, it, it's got 17 frequencies. You know, you can go from the high down into the low without having to re-ground balance and that stuff. But, you know, it, it just works well. It goes from dry to, you know, and you go into the black sand. It just doesn't seem to affect it. And, and, uh, uh, 
you know, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I, just, I was talking to this, but it was just a wonderful detector, you know, for that type of thing. Now I, I've kind of switched over to this new mind lab Equinox come out, and, and my gosh, that is, the more I get the use of that thing, the, the more I like it. I oh, had an yeah. incident last, uh, yeah, excuse me, I didn't mean to ramble no, like that. Go, no, go ahead. Uh, uh, the The... Equinox is a very good machine. Uh, usually, when I'm in the water, I'm I'm using the uh, the Excalibur too. But the Equinox is is definitely a great beach and water machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got the Excalibur also, and it's a wonderful machine. You know, really, it just it's it's you know, and on the Sovereign, I have five of them. I bought a couple extra because I was afraid they you know they quit making them, and I figured I have to have them. And then when the Equinox come out, I was very hesitant, you know, very reluctant to kind of switch. And I'm, the more I use it, the more impressed I am with it. It, it just, uh, uh, there, there was an incident when we went down, oh, it was probably in December maybe of this, this winter season down here, down to a, a place called Turtle Trails. And that's probably the most popular beach uh, on the Treasure Coast. And, you know, you go down, you can go north or south, and then there's a big, uh, long line of sandbags. It, and when these sandbags are, you know, they put them in there for erosion, you know, they're great big things. Right. And when you can see them, your chance of finding something, well, they were exposed. And I went north, you know, and when I come back to head south, went past the sandbags, there's a friend of mine saying that they're finding a bunch of musket balls. And this area, it looked like it had been plowed up like a garden. I mean, everybody was digging in there, but everybody had give up. It was done. And I pulled out 20 more musket balls with that, with that, uh, uh, Equinox. I mean, that's just unreal, you know. Way and to go. So, yeah. No, it, it, it really well. I got in, and I got into another situation where I got into a bunch of these, uh, bronze, um, uh, ship nails you know they used to sheet the bottom of the ships with either lead or or copper and they're they're bronze nails and then they go way back and and i pulled out just a ton of them with that equinox and it was you know the spot where they were found was right by a beach access and every you know that thing had been detected to death and i would go down there and it just you know and i learned a lot about detector by doing that i was just going down there and playing with it and uh uh, by the time I got done, I had over 150 of those the sheeting nails. You know, nice. So it, it, well, yeah, and that's beautiful. that's you're right. That's one of the best ways to learn your machine is just get out there and spend time with it, use it, and get to know what it's telling you. Exactly, and and this was kind of a unique situation. You know, I went over there and uh, I had a friend with me that had that big 15 inch coil. I had the standard coil on, and I did much better than him. You know. Uh, and and the reason for it being is, is there was a lot of black sand over the top of this area. And when you get in there with that large coil, you know, I, I think that the black sand is highly mineralized. I think it overwhelms the coil, you know, and so you don't, you you get less depth than you would with a smaller coil. Right. It and, was struggling uh, to see the targets. Exactly. Exactly. And and then, you know, just to the other side, there, there was an area that was, uh, you know, bunch of construction material an old swimming pool had collapsed and, and there was just a whole bunch of cement and stuff down there i went down there with the small six inch coil pulled out one gold ring and you know a whole bunch of coins you know with that small coil right in the garbage so i, I mean uh you know you kind of have to adjust for the situation you know when it's, am i am i making sense at all there 
absolutely. Yeah, you, you do have to adjust for the situation, learn how to change your settings on the fly, be prepared for the situation, because the detector itself is just another tool in our toolbox. It's an extension of ourselves, and some situations may dictate a larger coil, some may dictate a smaller coil, depending on the environment. And even at that, you you may still find that tweaking your settings is going to get you a little better performance from one environment to another. Yeah, I'm I'm a great theorist. You know, I, I, uh, I yesterday I went to a metal detecting club hunt. It was a sponsored hunt where they seed the area, mm-hmm. and I had my equinox. And I get there and I look, and there there's about seventy five people there, and at the by far the largest number of people out there detecting had the equinox. See, and I, you know, so you're a detective, everybody's close together. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get a lot of interference. These detectors are going to talk to each other. So I hunted it in beach two, you know, I'm in dry land and in a park, but I figured nobody else was going to be in beach two. (laughs) And it worked for me. I did really well. Uh, and it is a very popular machine. We do see them around in many different areas. We've got a caller. Go ahead, yeah. Chuck. Hey, Josh. Hey, How's Terry. I, you kind of answered part of the question I was going to ask you. What's the favored mode down on the beach? One or two? Okay. You'll get better depth in beach one. But when you get down mm-hmm. to the wet, the one, you're not going to be able to use it. it it'll cause too much interference. And so well, that's the same uh, thing Gary tells. Yep. So when when you get down close to the water, put it in beach too. And uh, yep. I, uh, our beaches here aren't salt; <laughs> they're mostly mud. But anyway, uh, that was the question I had for you: is is beach two? Uh, do you uh, run a manual setup, or or what are you doing with that when you're in the water uh, or on the wet? I, I, I probably, I, I suppose it would be a manual setup. I'm, I'm pretty basic. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm considered a real senior citizen, and I just want it, when it makes a noise, I'm going to dig it up. And, and uh, uh, so I just wrong with that. It, it, yeah, I, I, you know, I want Nothing the speed at that, four, too. you know, the recovery speed at four. I got the, the, uh, the tones, I go on a two-tone, you know, and, and the reason for that being is that uh, I have different tones that I have trouble hearing. You know, and uh, when when my smoke detectors go off in my home, I can't hear them. You know, my oh. phone, my home phone rings, I don't hear it. I, I'm deaf in certain tones, you know, and so I don't take a chance. I just put it on beach two, and if it makes a noise, I I dig it. And I uh, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, and I don't pay much attention to the numbers. You know, everybody, you know, I see guys standing there. And they'll run a detector over their target, you know, and then they go 90 degrees and they swing that detector over the same target. And they're watching those numbers. They're trying to decide whether they dig or not. And to me, it's just amazing because they spend all that time. Why don't you just scoop it up and take a look at it? Right. Get it out of the ground. I mean, beach hunters by nature dig most everything anyway. Yeah. Well, I I just got a platinum ring, a diamond ring with solid platinum, and it it come up one on, on the Equinox. Ooh, you know, normally nice I go on to 13, and, and it came up a 1. You know, if I hadn't have dug that tone, and the reason I probably found it is probably five or six guys went over it and didn't, wouldn't dig that one. Good job. Uh, yep. Yep. Well, that Did was I answer question your question is, okay? I, 
You did very well. Thank you kindly. I, I the Equinox is an amazing machine. I've I've used it all through the Midwest and out to the Northeast, and I used it in England last year. And I ran in a Parks One mode in a field, and I was just hammering stuff, and I got a nice gold piece out of the deal. And and I didn't go to the field settings because I was doing so well with the other. Then I switched to the field setting. And I went field two in it, and I saw my number of fines going down. Now, I was thinking maybe it was conditional to the ground that we had. I switched back to parks one. I started hammering stuff again. So sometimes different modes don't always work quite like you think they should in certain areas. Exactly. And yeah, they, they came out with a – oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I said they come out with a new mod, you know, that, that uh, apparently you can download onto your, your detector that will take yes. out the, the uh, bottle tops, you know, and I, I don't want to do that. I, uh, uh, on my Sovereign years ago, the, the, you know, it's just very distinctive. When you get a bottle top, I'm talking, to the, you know, off a glass bottle, mm-hmm. you know, very distinctive. It makes a blat, you know, and I got one of those signals walking across out, going out to the wet. And I figured I'm just going to dig a rid of it, and it was 14 carat ring. The band was cracked, you know. And so I don't want to discriminate anything, you know. I'll I'll make my decision. I don't want the machine to do it for me. Right. You are the final discriminator. Sure. Yes, you are. That's very cool, and and your show is very good. So I'll get out of here. Let you finish up. Well, thank you for calling. Thanks for the call. No problem, Terry. Yep, Josh, take care. That Equinox killer machine, folks. I can't keep them in stock, Josh. They're going out as fast as they hit the door. Wow. Well, you know, people can't do anything else. They might as well get out and detect. That's right. Good fresh air and <laughs> stay a uh, detector length apart. We were talking about that earlier. Yep, Night. I saw we'll that. We'll talk to you later. We'll see you. But, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, a lot of people, and I've said this before on the show, if you people out there that put too much faith in the VDIs are missing good targets, whether they want to admit it or realize it or not. And sometimes for newcomers coming into the hobby, I mean, it's, it's great that we've got the technology that we have and, and all the bells and whistles on the machines that we have accessible to us. But sometimes one of the best things they can do is cover that screen. I agree. I agree. And and uh, when I I found this this 1500 coin, you know, one of my friends said, "What did it read on your detector?" And I said, "Hold on a minute." And I took it outside and turned the detector on to see. I hadn't even realized what it rang. It made a noise. I dug it up and I got a coin that was from the early 1500s. And right. I. I wasn't looking at the numbers, you know. I was just looking at that prize in my scoop. Exactly. See, for me, usually, <clears throat> I'm I'm hunting by tone, and and I may use the screen as a secondary or third sort of reference, and maybe check the VDI because you know when you post that up or mention something about it, somebody out there's always somebody in the crowd is going to say, "Well, what numbers did that give you?" Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good question. I mean, that, that's fine if this is what they want to do. But I, I, I you know, if I, Gary made me a T-shirt. It says, if it makes a noise, dig it up. <laughs> you know, and, and, that's a and you probably will dig a thousand targets that are, or you wouldn't have had to. But when you get that one special one, it makes it all worthwhile. Right. And that's what I tell people. I mean, when rings just, 
that's that's why I don't want to discriminate bottle caps necessarily myself either. Uh, rings they can ring up all over the scale, and if you're going by the numbers, you are missing targets, whether you want to admit it or not. And sure, you're you're going to dig a lot of pull taps. It, it comes with the territory, and. I couldn't tell you how many pull tabs I dig before I hit a nice ring, but it doesn't matter if it's 150, if it's 250 pull tabs. When you hit that next signal that sounds just like a pull tab and you're going, yeah, it's probably going to be another pull tab, and you find out that it's a gold ring, it makes all that work before all those other holes worthwhile. I agree. I agree totally. And one thing you should think about now is when you dig up those pull tabs, save them. You know, put them in a, in a uh, little Ziploc bag and, and take them to your local schools or something. They donate it to the Ronald McDonald House. Exactly. And apparently That's... a pull tab has got about the same value as a, 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 a the whole can because it's harder aluminum or something. That's what I was told. I don't know. Well, and, and it's a more sanitary way to to recycle the aluminum for these uh, charities. And that's exactly what I do. I'll bring them home, clean them up. They go into a tub, and that does get donated to charity. We've got a caller uh, from New Jersey. Go ahead, Fred. Hey, hello, Josh. And uh, I'm listening to you, Terry. Uh, oh, you're, you're, I didn't hear the early part of the show. Uh, Sounds pretty fascinating what you're talking about with the moon phases and everything. But are you in Florida? Is that where you are? Currently. Yes, I'm in Florida. I'm in Melbourne Beach, actually. It's, it's an intercoastal island oh, okay. in an area they call the yeah. Treasure Coast. We're about uh, 30 miles south of uh, Cape Canaveral. Yeah, my brother's in Vero Beach, so uh, I wanted to go down there because I think that's right in the center of that, that Treasure Coast, yes. isn't it? Like Vero. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, and, it is. Okay. So uh, you're saying uh, you're you're saying that with the moon phases and everything, the best time to go out is when it's a full moon, like we just said, that super moon, did that create the high tides down here? That yes, it does. And, and, and it's not only the full moon, we, we, yeah, you have a new moon that they call that too, where you don't actually see it. It comes, so every two weeks you get the plus tides, you know, and when you get a oh, full really? moon, the tides come way up and then they go way out. And, and so you're detecting out, you know, you can walk out on the beach farther than you would be able to normally either. So, I mean, the okay. weather really makes a difference. You know, that, that really, really helps you. It's, it's a yeah, that's, that's, that's great that you're in, in tune with that because, you know, I, I always hear that that's important. Now, in Florida, they have a rule where you can't go in the water and detect, correct? You can only do it on the beach unless you have a permit uh, or something? They, Is that you know, correct? That, uh, it, it's correct up to a point. Uh, apparently, the uh, people have... Um, uh, salvage rights, you know, the two particular areas. And I believe, and I may be wrong on that. I mean, don't, don't quote me on this, but I believe if you go north of the inlet, I think five miles from that point on, you can go in the water. You know, like out in front oh, of really? Melbourne here, I've been in the water a lot, you know, and I think if you oh. get farther south down there by, uh, some of the areas you can go in the water. It's just where the people have the salvage rights to these. You know, um, right? Because you're, you're entering their domain, I guess. Right. <laughs> like going yeah. out in the water, mm-hmm. That's why it's always good yeah. to know your local laws and legislation, regulations, or, uh, you know, if you may not, it's always good to reach out to a local hunter if you can, and and maybe they yeah. can kind of give you some guidance of, hey, you know, this we don't want to be here because we'll be in hot water. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, I want to go down to my brother's. Uh, you know, right now I have the, uh, <clears throat> as far as water machines go, I don't have any, uh, I don't have a uh, Excalibur. I've got the uh, MindLab uh, CTX, CTX. Uh, 3030. And uh, I have been thinking machine. about getting an Equinox. Yeah. So it sounds, do you use the Equinox in the water too? Or just on the beach, I, the wet sand? I, just on the beach. I, I can use it in the water, but I've got the Excalibur. And, and, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Right, you so know, you're kind so of in. Been, been, so you're kind of in my situation where, when you're in the water, you use the Excalibur because it is, for me anyway, it is a dedicated water machine. That is what that machine is meant to use for. So that's why I opt to use it when I'm in the water instead of one of the other machines. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that's uh, it's designed to go deeper too, right? You can go like a hundred, at least a hundred feet deep with that machine if you were scuba detecting. 200 feet uh, submersible. It, I, oh, 200 feet. Yeah, oh, okay. and, and the Equinox well, is 10 feet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that's just really for low low hunting. I know uh, Steve Zazulik uses the uh, Equinox, I think, underwater a lot. but He does. I'm, I'm pretty sure he does anyway. He does. From his uh, videos. Yeah, yeah, he does. So, uh, no, I, you know, I was contemplating the machine. I, I do have a Deus, but they, they don't operate that well down in the wet sand. I haven't found it myself anyway, but uh, I'm not on the beach that much anyway. Most of my hunting is in the woods, um, particularly up here in New Jersey. I don't, I get down to Jersey Shore once in a while, but, you know, that's usually just poking around. It's not serious stuff like you're doing down there. I right. Mean, well, and trying don't to get me. stuff off those galleons, you know. <laughs> right. Amazing. Well, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the Deus on its own is, is a marvelous machine, but. For me yeah. myself, if I'm going to be near the water, there are much better options out there for me to where I don't slip and fall and, you know, cost myself $800 because I ruined the remote for the dais or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to do, you wouldn't want to submerge that unit. But, uh, I know you, I know you have the Excalibur. I, I hunted with the Excalibur when I was up in Cape Cod. Uh, That's right. You got yourself a, year a nice and a half gold ago. ring. Yeah, I got a nice gold. I got a nice gold band. Uh, that's the only one I've ever found, really. And I use that machine. It was a little, little. Uh, took a little getting used to because it's sort of just uh, singular uh, to me. It just seemed like it made one tone when you hit things, but it didn't seem to. Uh, you probably have to learn it really well to know what that machine's telling you. But uh, I was able to get that ring, so I knew it was telling me something was there. So I did find. I found a bunch of other little stuff, but no, nothing really good. But. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, and as far as, so Terry, as far as, uh, what do you recommend with, uh, if I was down there, should I plan my trip to my brother's when it is a full moon? You think there's better hunting capabilities or is it all having to do with storms too? There's better potential. Well, storm. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, When you have a cut, I'm sure it's better, but. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it, uh, you can get these riptides anytime, you know. But it, what it, it does, it just adds one more item in your favor. I, I would, I tell everybody that's going to drive any distance to hunt to try to do it during the full moon phase. Because you're going to, you know, you're going to be able to have, a, the beach is going to be much wider at low tide, you know, and it, it, the waves are going to come up much higher. You're going to, it's going to move some sand up higher. It just increases your odds big it's, time. It's all right. about maximizing your potential. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what you want to do because I, 
you know, I've heard that uh, those beaches get really sanded in down there, and it stops you from finding finding things because yeah, they're not, you know, like washed away down to the lower levels. You know, does that happen a lot? That that's where your where your riptides come in. You know, when you're down there, you know, spend a little time and, and just travel up and down the beach and look for the low areas. You know, if there's okay. some riptides, there's always some place that opens up. It seems. You know, but right now right. they're they're renourishing the beach, which to me is is a crime. Repunishment. Yeah, yeah, they're, it, it, they're it, covering it, all the stuff again. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and what it does from... is it washes out. They they did. There's a, a park just south of me. One of my favorite parks is called Ponce de Leon Park, and they come in, and that was one of the first ones that they replenished this year, and oh. they just replenished it the second time because the first batch had already washed out again. And when that washes out, it's going out, it's covering up the reef and it's killing that reef, you know. And, and yeah. I can't believe that they're allowing that to happen. It's just ridiculous what they're doing. Well, right. they don't always – I mean, the Army Corps of Engineers did some stupid stuff down in Florida that uh, proved not to be too uh, worthy of the environment and everything, building those canals and everything. They drained a lot of the fresh water out to sea and brought the salt water level coming in and – I, you know, so when they do these large scale projects, they don't always understand the ramifications of that. Right. The environmental as, uh, impact it may have. Environmental impact. Yeah. I mean, it sort of ruined the Everglades a little bit there when they did all that stuff. And, uh, I know they always have problems with, uh, Lake Okeechobee down there, uh, different levels of water and everything. So they have their problems with water, water, uh, containment down in Florida. I know that, but I'm sure you know, up here in New Jersey, when they do that beach replenishment you're talking about, it's kind of interesting. They put sand suckers out off the coast, and they suck the sand off the bottom and pump it onto the beach. I don't know how they do it in Florida, but that brings in a lot of stuff that would be beneficial to metal detect. Like I was down there detecting on the beach in the wintertime, and I just found the 1939 quarter laying right on the surface. Now, that wasn't dropped and not found by somebody. That was sucked in off the bottom. You know, by these uh, mm -hmm. beach replenishment projects. So, how do they do it there? Do they truck sand in from other they, they truck sand they in, bring... and they also they have a ship that pumps them in. But the oh, ship right. has so been gone for a couple in, of weeks, they can... and they're still hauling sand out of there. Oh, I see. So, if they pump it in, they could be pumping uh, Spanish doubloons onto the beach, right? Well, I would love to. Hopefully, I would hope so. But I mean, well, they they, they pump it into a big maybe. Yeah, they, they pump it into a big box to catch all the debris and that stuff. And and I have been going to go oh, down there and ask where they're dumping that box. And that's what yeah, I feel yeah. interested in. That's a good idea, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because I, I, you know. I know they're for a while in New Jersey. They were actually screening those uh, dredges. Uh, that's been years well, ago now. Well, they've a lot of munitions coming out. Yeah, I don't know if so they've went they away to... from that or not. Yeah, because they, they had a problem down in the uh, Jersey Shore when they were doing that they were sucking up stuff that they dumped off the coast after like World War One, hand grenades and stuff like that and they were getting pumped up on the beach and people were finding them with their metal detectors like a World War One hand grenade kind right. of an unstable device to be finding with your metal detector and they had actual warnings on the beach when you're metal detecting if you come upon these they had pictures of them they were you know really bizarre looking old hand grenades but uh, supposedly, after World War One, they just went out there a mile off the coast and just dumped uh, 10,000 hand grenades in the water. 
know, and uh, they just moved around and we were getting sucked up and and pumped back onto the beach. So that could cause a problem for somebody. Right. Yeah, uh, that's that's a hazard. We we find a lot of 50 the 50 caliber ammo, yeah. huh? Yeah. And I, I, I found two motor rounds myself, personally. Okay. Wow. So when you say 50 cal, you're talking about just the, the lead tip or the, the main tip, not the whole bullet? Like they were straight yeah, off the coast or something? Yeah, you get some of the shells from time to time, but you get more of the lead bullets, yeah. And they, they're yeah. really encrusted. And, like, the, uh, I went up to Cocoa Beach one time. It was a main beach, and I, I found the... Uh, a mortar round, and the fins were still intact. It was in pretty good shape, so I took it up and gave it to the lifeguard. It was kind of funny, and he called well, the police, of course, and, and the police come, and, and they called the fire department, and the fire department took one look at it and called the bomb squad, so it, <laughs> it turned out to be a simple thing, got to be a major deal. You know? yeah, right, right, yeah. Well, they're always a little uncertain about those munitions because you don't know how stable they are, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it on Facebook. I saw a picture of a guy found that one of the, it must have been a mortar, Looked like a little bomb. It had fins on it and everything. And the bomb uh, disposal came and blew it up right there in the location where he was hunting. So it actually yeah. did have live munitions in it. So uh, some of those, some of those are just training rounds where they just shoot them out of a mortar, but they don't have any explosives in it. But the ones that have the explosives, I'm sure those are something to stay away from. But uh, no, it sounds. Uh, and how long have you been hunting the beaches of the Treasure Coast? How many years you've been doing I've been, that? I've been doing it about fifteen years now, and and and, and I've been very fortunate. Uh, uh, I got a ring that uh, was just a gold band, and then I got a smaller gold ring, and I got all excited figuring this ring was uh, the small one was from the seventeen fifteen fleet, and it turns out the gold band was a posy ring, and inside it, it was the inscription "Godly love will not remove" in the old English, and I sent the uh, it had a uh, maker's mark on it. And it come back early 1600s. You know, Very so, well, nice. Some interesting things on, on the Treasure Coast. And it, it just isn't, you know, when we talk about the Treasure, you know, the 1715 Spanish fleet, that gets all the, uh, you know, all, all the hype. It gets the press, right? Yeah. Right. right. All the media coverage. And, you know, yeah. And I found this this coin, this Spanish real from the early 1500s. You know, that's not on the 1715. I, I could be, but I would doubt that they'd have a 200-year coin. And so we did a little research, well, and, and there's at least a dozen Spanish galleons that have sank a South Cape and Arrow that they have record of them sinking, but they've never been located. So there's ships all over the place, you know. It, it, uh, right. Uh, I saw a map of the Treasure Coast, and it just was dotted with, with wrecks off the coast. Like It was like yeah, a, a, few, a, a giant line of wreck markings all the way down the coast. So that's, uh, yeah, they're, that's they're, a great place. They had a helicopter do doing that. Yeah. They're absolutely oh, yeah. littered. Yeah, so all that stuff is down there, and uh, this turbulence, like when you have a hurricane or something, it, it washes it up and it deposits on the beach, hopefully. And uh, I imagine after you have your major hurricane center, the beaches must be crowded with detectorists. Uh, yeah, right? it, 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 if we have a, you know, this year we had a hurricane that was coming directly from Melbourne. And I'm in Minnesota, and uh, <laughs> I headed for Florida. I was going to ride the hurricane out. <laughs> And uh, oh, I just man. crossed the uh, Florida state line coming down, and Jerry called me up and said, slow down. It's veered to the right. It's going up north towards the Carolinas. Oh, but, you know, I don't want yeah, that... the hurricane to damage, but I, I do to get excited about, you know, the beach erosion and, and getting rid of some of the sand. When the sand gets washed out, you're going you're gonna to do well. 
And uh, watch yeah. these riptides. You know, when you, when you look down the beach and you see where the water's going up farther than any place else, you know, I wouldn't even detect my way up there. I'd just grab my detector and head for that spot. You know, I, I've done really well. There was a spot, uh, a buddy called me up one time, and he said there's a like a half a bowl just up, up from your house there. And he said, I detected, got some coins, but he said, I'm going up north. I pulled 11 rings out of that the next day, five of them gold. And one was a two-carat <laughs> diamond. Nice. But, which I, yeah, I didn't get to keep that two-carat diamond. My wife had it. Got it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you know, you got you to gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them, right? So Actually, yeah, it makes my whole day if she wants it. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I've been yeah, married to that so. other lady for 60 years, and, and she's got it all coming. Oh, uh, <laughs> she paid her dues. Congratulations. She, she doesn't mind you hunting if you're going to be bringing home stuff like that. So, uh, uh, it was a funny time. One time I found a, yeah, I found a real nice gold ring and, and uh, I come home and she liked it. She was really excited about it. And I said, you mind if I go out tomorrow? And she said, you can go right now. That's right. I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have an open, you've got an open pass as long as you bring stuff like that home. And, uh, exactly. and what do you consider your, your best finds? These valuable rings or the, uh, old, uh, coins and artifacts from these, uh, Spanish galleons or whatever? What do you, what do you, find that that you value the most or is it just all kind of i i I found i found a what's called a guile and it's it's a hindu prayer box it's it's in the shape of a elephant and it's it's silver and it has beads in there and i found that one of the first and it's a very religious you know deal Hmm. and i i I hit three or four different archaeologists said it's priceless but you know i said well give me a you know what's a dollar value and they won't (laughs) tell you they don't know but, uh, you know, uh, I go for the old stuff. I, I really, I like the history. You know, when I was in high school, sure. I thought history is stupid. You know, we got to worry about the future. <laughs> but now, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I, old, I, I'm into that history big time. Yeah, I mean, when you detect, even if you're a park detectorist or whatever, you do gain a tremendous respect for the history because the things you're digging up, you, you have to research a lot of times, and then you learn things about history, and it, it really does having that piece in your hand, two, three, four hundred year old piece, gives you a reverence of history that you never could get in high school. Absolutely. You know, it's a it puts things into it. a whole different perspective for us. Yeah, you you've you got you, a direct connection you, to that piece, you know. You yeah, you worded that part. very eloquently. You know, that that's exactly right. Well, when you hold something in your hand that somebody hasn't held for three hundred years, it is a reverent experience, you know. Yes it is. Yeah, it, and it's, it directly connects you. And I've so, said mm-hmm. for a while, if, if they would start teaching kids in school history that way, where they can tangibly hold that history, they're not only going to learn it, but they're going to retain it much more better. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, I I was just, I slept off history in high school, like you said, but now I've gotten a, a, a great uh, respect for it. So uh, I found a piece down in my woods by my house. It's just a token. And it said uh, 18 Spring Street or whatever it said on it, New York City. And I said, that's interesting. So my wife Googled it, and she found out that it was this bodega in the 1870s where you had these tokens, and you'd hand them in, and you'd get different types of wine. They had these big casts of wine on the wall. And she had a, a picture that was in the newspaper, then, and she got it off, the, off the, uh, somebody on the Internet. And we have those two items together, the token and the picture of the place with all these people turning in their tokens to get glasses of wine. It's just an interesting connection 
from a silly little thing you find out in the woods, you know. But uh, I could see that. That thing you talk about, that guile, that sounds really interesting. How big of a thing is it? It, uh, it, it were around the neck. It would be about the size of a half dollar. And it's got uh, oh, really? the, the Hindu god Galish, which is an elephant on, on the front. And it opens up and it's, is it's it hollow. If you watch some, some of my videos. Pardon me? Is it a hollow device that holds something? or is it Yeah, like it, it holds. Engine? It's got five beads in there, and the priest blesses these beads. Like one is, is for the kidneys, and another one, you know, each one of these beads has a religious significance. And when I found it, the beads oh. were still inside, you know. And wow, that's amazing. I, I got that another is, neat thing. Nice. Yeah. Last year, I got a pendant, a solid gold pendant, that we believe come from a funeral mass for the Inca or the Maya or the Aztec Indians. And I got that on the beach. And wow, uh, wow. I talked to two, yeah, it's uh, at least 22 karat gold. And I talked to two experts down there, Carl Fismore and, and then another old timer. And they were sure. saying well, once the yeah. 1715 guys showed up, or the Spanish, you know, they actually the gold kind of the, the uh, uh it would be low-carat low gold. You know, a lot of these pennants were like eight, nine-carat gold. And this one is 22, right. so they said it had to be way before the Spanish coming in there. So they think it, it dates back to the 1500s. And what I did with it is I got several pictures off the Internet that I copied uh, of the funeral masks. And I made a little display, put it in a, in a case, and with the, the pendant. You know, it's a shame to find a trophy or something like that that's neat and then just put it in the drawer and you never see it. You know, well, I, know. I, I wrote a little. Connected, you connected yeah, a little, it to yep. Yeah, I feel um, the same way about the little thing I have. I mean, you're connecting it to something. Yeah, right. I and always when like when it, I always like when they display them that way too, because now not only do you have the piece, you have the history that goes along with it, so that people can educate themselves. Sure, it, it's a, it's right. like a learning experience for people. So that's a wonderful thing. So. uh no, it sounds like you uh, you do a great uh, you have a great time doing it, and uh, it's been very worthwhile for you with with the uh, objects that you've recovered. Do you have you ever sold any of your uh, finds, or do you mostly just keep them? I, I've sold. I've given more away, to, you know, than on the rings and that. So, but the old stuff, I did sell a four real, and I was really sorry that I did it. But the guy offered me so much money, I couldn't turn him down. You know, <laughs> but uh, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, at my age, I've got so little I can brag about anymore. So it, you know, it's nice to have something. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like you have good bragging rights to me. It sounds <laughs> like you've had a, a lot of good experiences with the detector. Do uh, you said four real? Have you ever found the full eight real piece on the beach? Oh yeah, uh, I, I've got. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh oh yes, definitely. Oh, more I got one. Than uh, one huh? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I've got. Yeah, I've done really well on on the H, and and uh, you probably didn't hear, but. Uh, uh, we the first time I discovered the effects of this moon phrase is just Jerry and myself and other friend. We found five eight reals laying right on top of the sand above the high tide. Oh line. my gosh! You wow. know it was just, and that's I how I discovered right the moon the phrase. I figured out what it was the value. Wow, that's it's great that you connected it all like that, and you uh, now you now you time your 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 detecting. I'm sure you detect other times too, but you probably expect better results in those periods too, right? Like when the tides are perfectly aligned, and you go on the low tide. That's when you go. Like when the tide is way out. I, I try to go about three hours before the low tide and, and follow the tides out. 
but I on a okay. new moon and that, then I hunt up high. I, I you know, when when you get the, the high tides, you know, I look for low spots. And, and this uh, the Spanish Real at fifteen early fifteen hundreds was found high. You know, it was a low area. It, it had washed out. The waves had come way in and washed this area out. And you could see where, you know, the, the ghost crabs are bringing up this orange sand. And I pulled some. I've got two bronze ship spikes. I got a couple ship nails, and uh, a musket ball, and some lead sheeting, and then that uh, uh, that that Spanish real, the two real. All right. So you say that the boats were lined with lead on the bottom to keep the barnacles off, or or make them? Is that where they did that? Metal sheeting. Yeah, uh, it was shipworms. Yeah, the, the oh, shipworms ship uh, would eat. And, yeah. And so they oh, would so line the bottom of the ship with lead or, or copper. Wow, and they and they used uh, bronze nails to hold that on in place. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I guess when when the ship would hit the reef and break up, all those uh, materials then would wash up on the beach and so forth. And you're still they're still washing up on the beach. So yes, they are. Yeah, that yeah, one. Well, it, yeah, it's a constant process, I guess. And uh, when you see these uh, pictures where they're diving down to the wrecks and everything. A lot of the articles they get are encrust, totally encrusted in coral or or whatever encrustations on it. Does it happen that way on the beach, or are they pretty much like I look like a coin, or do you have to do an extensive cleaning on these items once you uh, find them? You you have to clean them. I I saved the last eight real, and then I had a half real I got this year. I didn't clean either one of those because I've been invited to talk at, at several different groups and that. And the average person, if you look at one when you find it, you wouldn't know what it was. You know, they, right, they probably tell like stories a about lump or something. Yeah, the people picking them up think they're good skipping stones and skip them back into the water. And uh, so I, <laughs> you know, the uh, some of them, uh, it was an area here on the Treasure Coast where you find in the, the reals are really black and very worn. And you go right around the point of land, and the ones there are just really in nice shape. You know, I don't know if it's two different ships or or what, but you have yeah. have to clean them. And, and the easiest way, you know, you use the electrolysis. You know, and but if you do that, make sure that you don't, you know, overdo it. You got to do or mild, use mild from, electrolysis, yeah. You just yeah. want to get that or you use from, loose on there. Yeah, Moranic acid. And you don't want to dissolve the coin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know too much about electrolysis. It's an, it's kind of an interesting thing for me, and I, and uh, I would like to try it. And I, I bought a little uh, box from this guy Frank who sells them. And I still haven't hooked it up yet, but uh, one of these days I'll I'll do it. But it does sound like in that situation where you're encrusted with, uh, it probably gets coral on it and stuff, right? Because it's been on the bottom for so long, or, or I don't know yeah. what else they get encrusted with salt. <laughs> but uh, that's that all flakes off with the electrolysis, uh, and then it looks like a regular silver coin at that point. Once you do the electrolysis, no, it, it'll. It, what you should do is, is make sure you know. Uh, what I was using was these chargers that you use to charge your phone or, or you know, right, and that's right. actually, I think that's five amps and that's too much amperage. You know, what will happen is, is that when you do the electrons, it will also take the impurities out of the silver and you can get a very poor oh. coin, you know. And so you got to make sure yeah. that you, you get the voltage down there. I got it about one amp and you just do it really slow and then take it out and it'll come out, you know, black. And it takes some baking soda and make a paste in your hand and just rub it with your fingers and it'll clean it right up. But yeah, okay. you know, don't be in a hurry. Take your time. Just uh, you know, do it for a little bit. Take it out and, and 
hit it with a baking soda, and then if you still need more, put it back in. And, and uh, but if you let it in there too long, it'll ruin the coin. Well, that's, and, that's good information for when I come down there and I find a handful of those coins on my first trip, right? And it'll also keep your. Uh, <laughs> it'll also do a little better if you rub that baking soda paste on there while the coin is still wet, too. Uh, and you'll want to tune in Sunday. We've got another electrolysis show coming up with Frank. Oh yeah, all right. I'll have to listen to that because uh, I, you know, I'm still intrigued by it, and I have that. I have that old box. I don't have the new one that he has out, but I have an old, uh, I don't know what he calls them, dirty box or something, ugly box. It's ugly got a box. name for him. But, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a miniature uh, electrolysis unit, but it's supposed to work pretty well. It does. They demonstrated it at my club meetings. And my club meeting is canceled because of the coronavirus on Tuesday. So uh, I think that's impacting a lot of stuff, but uh, hopefully it won't be around too long. Let's all hope for that anyway. Yeah. But, uh, um, well, I don't want to take up your whole show talking to you about this stuff, but it's very intriguing what you're saying. And I, I look forward to going down there and maybe I'll run into you on the beach, you know? I, well, that would be nice. Know, uh, I wish you well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you always need luck. That's the, one of our biggest, uh, saviors is luck. But, uh, you sound like you have a lot of skill and, uh, you know how to read things and, uh, your, your luck is, uh, has a lot to do with your knowledge, so uh, he definitely I, I knows how to read beats. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say so. Uh, that's that's a valuable skill if you're out there. So I, I'll be trying to initiate some of those things. Hopefully, I'm down there long enough to build it around a full moon. That would be interesting to see if it has any better results. But uh, uh, I wish you luck, and uh, it was nice talking to you. I'll get off now. I'll let you uh, get some more questions from Josh. Thanks for your call, Fred. So have a good night. Yeah, thank, thank you. you very much, and good luck right, to you. I'll, great talking to you. I'll see you, Josh. Good night. Well, after uh, hearing about the moon phase, uh, any any perspective on how weather can affect inland hunting? You know, you know that I guess is a hard one for me to answer, Josh. I, I, I don't inland hunt down here virtually at all. I do up up north. And I do know that after, you know, a thunderstorm comes through or something like that, you know, an hour, hour and a half after that storm goes through, it, it's just unreal the depth you'll get on those detectors. I think maybe the the uh, electricity in the air does something to energize the ground. But uh, uh, and and when the ground is wet, when the ground is wet, you're you're going to get, uh, you know, after rain, you know, that it, you're going to get much more depth. You know, oh, absolutely. The, the very worst is to dry in, in, you know, the hard stuff. It, you just don't get the depth. You know, the rains are our friends big time. Absolutely. It gets that moisture in the ground. It enhances the conductivity of the targets that we're looking for. And uh, sometimes it can play a little little havoc with us with the iron targets, but uh, that's okay. It enhances those halos as well. You know, I, I did find uh, two, uh, one real. I was going to say two, but it was a one real. And laying right on top of iron uh, down uh, on the treasure coast, south of the treasure coast. And the reason I found it is because back up in Minnesota, there there's an old tra- there was a trading post. There was two buildings. And the people that moved onto the, the farm moved up in there. The grandparents moved in there in 1890. And the trading post was that burnt down at that time. And I went out there, and you can locate the buildings because of all, you know, when they burnt down, all the nails are there, all the iron. And, uh, you know, I, 
by playing around a little bit, I was able to pick some stuff out of that iron. And uh, uh, that's how I got that rail. You know, there's a whole bunch of iron. I'm going over it real slow, and it, it's nulled out. You know, you, the, the iron's there, and I get a little chirp. And I got to chirp the same place, you know, and I dug down, and, and, it, and the, the coin was all covered with rust. The silver coin was all rusty. You know, I took pictures of it and that stuff, but it was actually laying right on top of a big, you know, bunch of iron. Right. Yeah, I've I've been in that situation myself too, where sometimes it surprises you. That's and that's a very good reason why you shouldn't put too much faith in the VDIs because when when those targets are mixed in with the iron like that, it will skew your numbers. The Equinox is really accurate, you know, as far as the numbers up to about eight inches or so. I found out if I'm getting down, you know, really deep in that, then, you know, I'll get a reading of about three, and by the time I get the coin out, it's maybe up to 13. You know, it, when you get a real deep target, those those VDR numbers are not correct at all. Right. Yeah, very, very good information. You have had just a phenomenal wealth of information and stories as well. Uh Wow. <laughs> really really great gentleman to speak with i'm i'm glad that we've had this opportunity but uh we've we've just we've covered so many different things and i feel like there's still so much more you've got to share we'd love to have you back again sometime in the future well i would be honored josh this is kind of fun for me too i i enjoy talking to detecting it, it really is i i've got so many friends because of that sport or this hobby. You know, I've just met so many people and developed such good friendships. It's just a wonderful, wonderful hobby. It is. It is. And, and I mean, it's, it's the only hobby that I can think of right offhand where, you know, you really too do truly reap the benefits. The hobby will pay you back. Uh, you can, you can make money off of it if you want. You can do good things for people as well as yourself. The, the health benefits alone are a plus keeping you outdoors keeping you active and the friends you make along the way are just real treasures big time you know big time i could agree more i have a you know a, a background in law enforcement so i've actually you know been called up on different uh, uh crime scenes to use my detector to recover you know bullets and stuff like that and uh right but that that's because of my background but it's just it's just a wonderful hobby and and really now I'll go back to Minnesota about the middle of May and I'm going to get several calls I get them every year to help people find their sprinklers <laughs> they, yep. they disappeared over the winter time you know sprinkler heads and uh uh and then I also have you know uh, property line stakes you know people will want me to find their property line stakes I never charge anybody for that but on the property line stakes you know, they're iron, you know, so what you have to do when you're looking for them is to go into all metal, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, people will go rent a detector, go to find their stakes, and they just get frustrated and give me a call, and, you know, and they have a pretty good idea right where it's at, but they couldn't find it. Well, you put it in all metal, and it'll it'll pop up, but you dig a whole bunch of nails. It's, it's amazing how much garbage is in the ground, you know. Absolutely. Amazing. Absolutely, and I tell people all the time, why rent a detector when you can rent a detector rest? Because, I mean, the, the machine itself, it yes, it helps, but it doesn't do you a whole lot of good without the experience behind it. Yes, yeah, so the more you use it, the more you get, you know, 
get familiar with it. And it does talk to you. You know, it'll tell you something if you, if you know how to interpret it. And uh, that's where us retired people have really got it made because we're out there so much more. And, and uh, right. uh, you honing, can learn a machine. Honing those skills daily. I would have to agree. Definitely. Uh, well, before we go, would you like to uh, let people know where to find you or mention your YouTube channel, anything like that? Well, it's just, you know, you can find my, my videos on, on, you know, just Terry Shannon detecting the Treasure Coast. Ed Huffman from uh, Treasure Mountain uh, Metal Detectors come down and he did uh, four videos. Uh, Very well done videos, too. Yeah, and it's it's funny because he came and he's a wonderful guy. He's, we've developed a good friendship. I really like the guy. But he uh, come down and the first thing he, he did, he said he was going to meet the legendary Terry Shannon. You know, and that <laughs> that legendary thing stuck. <laughs> and and uh, uh, it's funny because I get referred to that every once in a while, and it, it just to me it's very funny. Well, there is certainly no doubt or debating. You are very good at what you do. You've been very successful with what you've done over the years, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Hopefully that success continues for you for a very long time to come. Uh, well, thank you. I hope you're too. You know, it, it, you know, I'm 78 years old, so every every day I think, you know, a, every I'm out there as a gift. You know, but I had a fellow walk up to me one time and, and he said, I'd really love to do what you're doing. But he said, I'm just too old, you know. And I said, well, how old are you? And he said, I'm 62. <laughs> you know? And that's his fault. I mean, he, you know, it, it, when I was sure, you know, we'd have these guys that, that retired and we'd throw a party for them, you know, and wish them well, give them a jacket or something and tell a bunch of jokes and that. Two or three years later, I'd probably be called to be a pallbearer at the funeral. The people that go home and sit in front of the television set, you know, they're, they're dying. They don't realize it, but that's what happened. When you have to have goals, you have to have ambitions and dreams, and you have to have exercise. And we get that all, uh, you know, with the metal detective. When we first come down to Florida, we were in that fifth wheel camper right on the beach. And, you know, there was several guys that would go down on the walkway down to the beach and have coffee in the morning. And they thought it was so funny for me. I'm running around getting all my gear together. I'm all excited. I'm going to hit the beach and find, you know, some treasure. You know, and then all of a sudden I started coming back with stuff. And that, that ridicule or interest, you know, that they thought was funny turned to, uh, you know, interest. And, and every day I come back, what did you get today? I mean, people become very interested in it. Absolutely, and, uh, they several do. Several of the women got together and told my wife that, you know, they have an intervention for alcoholics and, and drug addicts, and they thought that they should have an intervention for me. You know, I was hooked on, you know, this metal detecting. And I come back that day, I found two really nice rings, and they called off the intervention and all put in their orders, and, you know, just in fun, of course. But it, <laughs> <that's funny. laughs> right. Sometimes it's it's not so much as we choose the hobby as it is the hobby chooses us. And at that point, there's nothing left you can do. You can't fight it. You've just got to enjoy it. <laughs> and I do. I, I do. I, I am so lucky, and, and, and I've enjoyed, you know, quite a bit of success, you know, and it's because of, of being interested in being out there. And really, everything good that I've ever found has been a surprise. You know, it, it, when I looked down on that scoop and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, look at that. <laughs> I get so excited. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, I think uh, it it has been a pleasure, and judging from the response we're seeing in the chat, uh, we're not going to have any choice but to have you back again in the future. Everyone has thoroughly enjoyed the uh the conversation the perspective and and just the the sheer enthusiasm that you have for the hobby well thank you josh and and you know anytime i'd be glad to i i'm having a good time myself you know nice i enjoyed this immensely that's what we like to hear well hang in there with me for a few minutes there terry and we'll get on out of here okay So for everyone else, obviously, Terry Shannon. You can check him out on YouTube. Uh, I did see where Ohio Relic Hunter dropped the YouTube channel in the in the uh, live chat. Thank you for that. And the description does hold that link. That will propagate with the podcast. So look down in the information there to find the link for the YouTube channel as well. Highly, highly recommend checking out some of his videos and and even subscribing if you subscribe hit that notification bell so you don't miss the hopefully soon upcoming video of cleaning that very very nice to real that was found recently for everyone else if you enjoyed the show make sure and throw us a like you can follow us here on Spreaker iHeart iTunes many of the other wonderful podcast distribution services as well as Facebook and the Lovely Facebook groups over there and even over on Ohio Metal Detecting on YouTube. Until the next time, we're going to roll, get out there, and try to find something if you can and post up those photos. You know how we love to see them. We'll catch you Wednesday where we announce the live giveaway of the Dirt Pirates event. So check us out then. Have a wonderful evening, folks.